0: Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment. The definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry. The executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at isbi360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. Once again, I am Bill Groutine, and with us today is a very unique guest. He is very well known worldwide in helping businesses compete more effectively For the luxury dollar christopher p ramey is president of the home trust international and is one of the most highly regarded and most often quoted authorities on best business practices to serve the affluent market including classic luxury marketing service branding culture loyalty and sales strategy he is a frequent contributor to luxury daily and an in-demand speaker on the subject of sales and marketing strategies to affluent and luxury customers. Chris, welcome here to the Crowdmakers. You know, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I often start our interviews by asking people what they've been doing during the pandemic and if there was something that they have started, a new hobby, a construction project in their home, if they've started reading more. What have you done with the time you've had this time off?
1: Well, we didn't have any time off. Uh, fortunately, we... Uh, Our business imploded in April, uh, by by and large, because we were so focused on geofencing, finding where high net worth individuals were going and following them. And all of a sudden, boom, they stayed home. So we went out and and started developing new digital strategies. And and consequently, we're a much stronger company today. But the bottom line is we used COVID to revisit everything we do and reinvent new ways to search for prospects for our clients. That's what we do.
0: Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because you mentioned the Home Trust International. This is what you do. You have a tech platform that serves high net worth families by presenting the world's finest products and services for their homes. Now, that sounds great on the brochure. Tell us what that really is and what it really does.
1: Well, what it really means is there's no brochure. Uh, Everything is digital. Our world is a digital world. Just this morning's Wall Street Journal uh, front page second section, section was this will be the first year when digital sales uh, are larger than print and all other media. Uh, the whole world is going through a cataclysmic change regarding technology. And the general consensus is COVID accelerated it five to 10 years. So being at the forefront of technology uh, is extraordinarily important to my clients. It's why people hire me. And um so that, that's, that's what we do. That's what we've been doing. And we can talk about some of the tactics in a bit, if you like.
0: Sure. In that way, that's terrific. So let's talk a little bit how about you initially became involved with this fascinating niche. I, I don't remember seeing how to become an expert on the affluent market in my university syllabus. So what set of circumstances in your life has brought you to where you are today?
1: My father was an aviator. And uh, we were fortunate. Uh, His boss, who was chairman of Chrysler, as well as president of Consolidation Coal Company, allowed us to fly in the airplane in the jump seat, airplane, uh, anytime we wanted when he was on board. He was a benevolent, extraordinary gentleman who changed my life as well as my three brothers' lives. And we, we, we watched this behavior because we got to go to the master's every year. We flew, you know, this is before private jets were in vogue, and we were flying all over the country, uh, unlike any of our friends in Buffalo Park or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who many had never been on a jet. So my exposure to the wealth market was early, and I was extremely impressed. We were taught to respect those who were successful, uh, to serve those who were successful, and certainly my father served Mr. Love, and that... um, That taught us kind of a serving heart, if you will, Uh, and and to be a servant is okay. Uh, The second piece of that was I I, I was accepted into Macy's executive management training program uh, in college. uh, and immediately went to Macy's after college, and um, they put me in the carpet department. Now, there are a lot of products that are exciting, but carpet's not one of them. And um, so as it turned out, I worked in the business for 15 some years. I ended up opening a floor covering store at 28 uh, in a high net worth area at the time, South Florida. And I discovered my passion was really marketing to these individuals more so than the product. So at 40 years old, my store is very successful. I'd owned a retail business for 12 years. I thought, you know, let's switch this. To, uh, to consumer-based, because marketing to the affluent really transcends every category. It's sports, it's furniture, it's cars, it's yachts, it's, and all these kind of companies have been my clients. So it's been fun, because what works in one category works in another, because it's not consumer-centric, not product-centric. Hmm.
0: There is such a mystique, I think, about people that have wealth. And that mystique is mainly probably from people that don't have wealth. But how do you define the affluent market? What sorts of misconceptions might we have about this group that would surprise most of us?
1: Well, there's a lot of different definitions of what luxury is. Luxury to a business person, uh, and what I teach is luxury has specific pillars or laws that create a luxury product. But some people will quote Coco Chanel and say uh, anything beyond necessity is luxury. And the Luxury Marketing Council, which I ran in Miami and Palm Beach for many years, we used to say there were three pieces to it. Two was the science that um, was embedded in the product. Say, for example, a um, Lamborghini, former client. Or um, the third is the experience, which we all talk about experience today. But that's really evolved into specific pillars to create uh, to to create those pillar um, to create those uh, specifications. If you
0: really interesting. So scarcity, science, and experience; those are the kind of the three things we look for. Really, well,
1: th- those are the things that we define
0: luxury as. So okay. you could buy
1: a Lamborghini, but if you have a lousy experience buying it, um, what have you got? Uh, same sure. thing with you know. Cool building a home on the on an island over the ocean. So, you know, it, it all kind of works together to create what we now consider a luxury experience. But it's deeper than that. Sure. And, and luxury brands in Europe have always gotten that. But, you know, they had aristocracy. We don't have aristocracy here. And furthermore, we have people who don't like high net worth individuals. Uh, I, I posted something on Facebook once, and somebody came right at me. You know, and, and they called me a snob. I, I'm not a snob. I'm anything but a snob. But everybody has their own perception. After all, to some people, clean water is a luxury. You and I take it for granted. Uh, indoor plumbing. Remember when cell phones were a luxury? Like, I'm on my cell phone. Well, you know, <laughs> today everybody has a cell phone. So uh, that goes to you know, most luxury leaks. It, it starts at the top and there's a, a, a democracy about it. Eventually, everybody has it.
0: You've worked with brands, of course, that we would all know by name, but is it, what array of products and services would be considered part of that luxury segment? Would it be just the Christian Dior's and Rolls Royce's and Tiffany's of the world? Or are there others that fit into this category that might surprise us?
1: Well, there are a lot that fit into the category. Uh, one of my uh, seminal moments in my life, I was giving a presentation in Medellin, Colombia on pricing and, and using strategies from luxury and a gentleman came up to me after the speech. And it was one of those moments that, you know, there's a lot of people around you. Everybody wants to ask a question. And he said, how do I leverage what you taught when 90% of my customers live in abject poverty? Hmm. And it was like, wow, what a sobering moment. Of course they were going to, or I believe it was civil war. And It still comes down to what is special to you. What can we do that is so special that you're willing to pay more for it? And that's what the laws are all about, is creating an environment of desire so that you want something so much that you'll pay more
0: for it. Well, let's talk about that in terms of sports and entertainment then, because we in that industry who sell our high-end luxury suites, the loges, the skyboxes, we have coveted this target market for a very long time. And a lot of them, however, have been fairly frustrated by their lack of positive results with this group. Where do you think most sales professionals miss the mark when they look to attract or perhaps eventually close a piece of business with the affluent market?
1: Exactly what you just said. They think it's a selling experience, and it's not about selling. It's about fascinating in such a way that someone has to have it. It may be about status in your situation, but if you're selling somebody, trust me, everybody wants to sell them something. But instead of matching prices, match values in such a way that they have to have it. Remember, these are individuals with capacity to buy anything they want. What they don't have is propensity. And that's where the first pillar of luxury happens to be. And that is marketing first. You have to create desire for your product because if there's no desire, no one will
0: spend money on it. Well, you've mentioned the eight pillars a couple of times already. So let's delve into that for a moment. Uh, If we could get into when you say the first pillar, let's talk about that and how you might relate that perhaps to a, a client that you may have in sports and entertainment. Describe that first pillar for me, if you will, and, and how we in sports might be able to articulate that to our sales reps to be able to incorporate it into their daily lives.
1: Well the first piece is you have a responsible companies have a responsibility to create desire for their product. If you think you're just going to go sell somebody a premium seat, it doesn't work that way. Furthermore, most brands, and I'm not speaking specifically of sports, but they disintermediate the responsibilities specific to high net worth individuals and think everybody else is going to talk about it and create desire, but it doesn't really work that way. Uh, you have to really focus on what matters to your best prospects. And once you do that, then you have to continually uh, target them. One of the things we do with our digital marketing is uh, we count uh, pacing. How many times do we... Uh, show an ad to. And of course, they probably not worth the individuals. Remember, they're busy, they've got other things on their mind, and what you're trying to sell isn't all that important to them. So you, you have to really, through the course of frequency, build that desire for your product. So that when the salesman calls them, instead of trying to sell them something, it becomes more of a lubricant. I've been thinking about that.
0: Hmm. That
1: sounds like something I'd be interested
0: in doing. If you could give us an example of one that you might be able to think of, a project that you worked on, could be sports, could be something else that the client was just getting it totally wrong and you came in to fix it. And perhaps what the circumstances were without giving away too many names to protect the innocent here.
1: Well, the biggest issue is specific to what you just said. Everybody thinks they gotta sell somebody something. I would argue fascinate them. Market so that you create desire for your product. When someone buys a Vuitton or a Hermes bag, they're not considering anybody else because they have created desire specific to that individual for their object. It's really about turning everything upside down and stop selling them, start fascinating. fascinating. The entire design industry is focused on that. department stores that used to fascinate people with fashion, now it's about sales. You know what, if, they, if, you treat, if you teach people that sales are all that matters, they won't buy until something is on sale. So you train your best prospects, you hire your product by marketing And now the next piece is, what are you marketing, right? So the first piece is heritage. I haven't lived in Pittsburgh since 1977. Um, But I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler and a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, and that will never change because that's from whence I came. How do you leverage that? We see that with schools, by the way. High net worth individuals give to the schools they went to not the schools in their local market. If they did, the schools in Palm Beach County would be extraordinarily wealthy, but they're not because those dollars are going to Harvard and they're going to whatever school they went to or prep school, Holderness, for example, school. That's where the money goes. You have to build this. It doesn't happen over time, uh, but that goes to the next um, pillar, which is loyalty. People are loyal to brands, which um, from when they came. So Pittsburgh's, you know, the Pirates have not had the best years. Doesn't mean I ever stopped being a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. I haven't. And it can start late because if you want to go further, the Steelers were really nothing. So Franco caught the Immaculate Reception back in 73 or '4, And that's, you know, I, so I grew up, Steelers, they played at Pitt Stadium. We didn't go to the games. Um, but... Uh, Through the course of time, and once they were big, and it was my hometown, uh, you become a Steeler fan. Uh, We used to go to the Miami Dolphin games. The Dolphins are my client for several years. And when the Steelers played, there were more Steeler fans in the audience than there were Dolphin fans. That was the fun. felt like I was
0: home. (laughs) Yeah, the Rays often have that issue with the Yankees when they come to town. And many Yankees fans who have retired there in that area uh, come out in droves. In fact, the Rays hate it internally because not well it's great for the box office but it's awful for fan favorites and uh, all of a sudden they feel like they're the visitors rather than the home team
1: yes well the benefit to miami is that they're pittsburgh and in the downside to the raises they're from new york
0: (laughs) yes many are absolutely well as we look at as we look at what's going on right now what are some of the trends or the storylines in sales and marketing in general that you're watching closely right now. And what has happened to the affluent market relative to COVID-19? Has it affected it very greatly in your estimation?
1: Yes, it it certainly affected it at the beginning. Um, But it is um, many of the wealth markets, such as New York, Washington, D.C., people have left the cities and they've gone to their second or third homes on private jets. Flying private today is busier than before COVID so that certainly built that market uh staying at home renovating your home hiring a designer uh, all of that has grown over the course of the last uh, six eight months so there are certainly markets that have been beneficiaries uh, the um not everyone is a 20 millionaire or uh, worth a hundred a billion dollars so you know that Near luxury space, those were where, say, five million and down. They don't think they're affluent uh, rich, but they have capacity to buy. Um, but travel's gone away. Hospitality's gone away. Uh, hotels have gone away. Uh, it's a very difficult time for some markets, it's particularly restaurants. Uh, you know, they open up for 25 or 50%, but that's not enough to stay in business. Uh, it, it, it's a very, very difficult time for businesses. But the affluent still have the capacity because they are still affluent. So it, it's, it's okay.
0: We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark, and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, Not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. So in today's marketplace, as sports is now looking to reopen and reintroduce themselves to a marketplace that may only have 25% or as much as 50%, what things would you suggest that they do in sports that might help to welcome back this affluent customer, even though there are some concerns going in?
1: Well, certainly safety and security is very important. You have to be able to guarantee an environment that's safe for them to visit. Um, Two is because scarcity, of course, is a, and there are fewer seats, your prices should go up. I think people understand that. I read recently that people were tipping higher than ever before at restaurants simply because they know um, they're not making money like they did before. It's uh, so, you know, this goes back to the different laws of luxury. Be loyal to your clients. Um, we, we have uh, find ways to serve them, even if they can't get to the game. Find ways to engage them. Make your team a journey, if you will, not a one-time experience. Mm-hmm. You want to expand it so you are a, and I'm South Florida, a dolphin fan all year long. And, and they've done a good job with that. Um, you know, some of the things they don't like is drama. Um, you know, nobody wants, you know, you see in the paper, there's enough drama in the world. Uh, nobody wants more drama. I, I uh, have a friend who emails me and he often says have a drama-free week. And and, and and I think that's, you know, everybody wishes that today. Um, you want to be creative. Find out what else do they want. If, you, if you're pursuing independent businesses, maybe there's ways for them to network. I know the Dolphins do that quite a bit with their Dolphin. You know, find ways to really make it meaningful uh, for them. In the old days, we, uh, you know, the old shoe, you'd get one shoe, and if you came in for an appointment, you'd get a second shoe that matches. Maybe today you have the athletes who are your brand ambassadors. Uh, it's not just about them playing. It's about them getting them out in the market, and not just for a photo op. Uh, if you have a CEO of a corporation who underwrites a box for 12 people, Someone needs to visit them. And it's not the salesman. It's somebody on the field. You have to change the dynamic of everybody has new responsibilities to promote this brand, which is your uh, club. So that's um, it's, Everyone has to revisit everything they do, all their marketing, and, and how they are fascinating their best prospects and clients.
0: It certainly doesn't end with the sale. More than likely, it continues on with the service team with the luxury suite, the skybox, those sorts of things, anything you might pass along to those service reps who are involved in the day-to-day maintenance and delight factor that they bring to their customers in that luxury segment?
1: Sure, you have to serve your client consistent with the experiences they have at the Ritz-Carlton, not at the minor league ballpark or someplace else. You have to elevate everything you do to the experiences in a consumer-centric world that they have. So, you know what? Go to a Four Seasons Hotel. See what the experience is like. Go to a Ritz-Carlton or a Mandarin Oriental and experience and watch and see what they do and how different it is. And then take some of those pieces and integrate it into your uh, experience at your ballpark. Got
0: it. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about the home trust at this point. You've talked about many of the things that are happening in the luxury segment and your company itself is really involved in marketing to that world. What does your company do and how in the world do you do this geofencing? and what devices are you marketing to? Well, that's a great question.
1: And uh, my consulting, the home trust is exclusively for brands in the home segment, home and design, luxury home segment. Uh, my marketing company is AffluentInsights.com, and we do we execute marketing for everything from medicine to legal to you name it, uh, because they're all focused on high net worth individuals. The uh, what do we do? We look for ways to market to high net worth individuals that you don't hear and see a lot. Uh, we, we, if others do it, it bores us. So, for example, if, well, if you're a Pittsburgh Steeler premium seat salesman, and I, I is the, is the uh, I'll use the other way. I'll use the Pirates because they don't sell out every game. If they called me, what I would say to them is, there are, there's an app for the Pittsburgh Steelers and there are other apps for Pittsburgh Steeler fans. I would identify those apps. I would buy third-party data to determine who has those apps and who has a net worth of whatever it is, 1 million, 5 million, 10 million. And then I would use satellites to beam down and target those individuals with those apps with that net worth and sell them uh exposed the benefits of being a Pittsburgh pirate seat holder that's what I would do it's very simple it's finding your best prospects finding what they do uh,
0: by virtue of the apps on their phone and then market to them That it's just fascinating what you've done it, it, and I don't know if you could give a specific example of, of one you've worked with perhaps a category you don't have to name the brand or something that was looking for a specific outcome that you were able to achieve using this technology sure
1: um An easy one is uh, we have clients who target golfers. So in markets down to the zip code level, we can market to anyone with a handicap and a $10 million net worth. Because for this client, that's who she wants to sell.
0: Wow. And you just make that happen. Just poof. Here we are. We have these clients with 10 million plus dollars to sell. That's pretty. Data is just amazing, isn't it? It's fabulous. And anyone who's not
1: leveraging it today is missing great opportunities. The uh, But you could take any category. It could be in art, it could be in yachting. I mean, these are all campaigns that we routinely do, equestrian. Uh, private banks have apps. So you can target people who have, you name the private wealth bank, they have an app, and we can target their clients. So finding whoever your best clients are. I have a client today I'm meeting with that um, he's in the medical field and he targets uh, apps that are are for antidepressants Hmm. and um, antidepressants in pain medicine. So we can target his best prospects in his market uh, and it's pretty inexpensive. So, you know, it's, it's less than $350 a month to hit, you know, 20 some thousand ad impressions. So it makes it affordable for whoever you are in whatever category you're in, certainly in the athletic industry, to hit best customers. Wow. And this is why magazines are going away. Why would you be in a magazine for several thousand dollars in a given market when you can target your best clients and you know they're seeing it? And it's a direct line to your website, which is, and maybe a special that you have or whatever you do. You know, the, if, if there's one commonality amongst the affluent is they save money So find ways to incent them
0: and uh, make it something special. It's pretty easy. It's fun. You know, what's funny is you just said something that I wanted to touch on a little later, and I'll bring it up now, is that this group is not just really wanting to throw their money away. They have as much interest in a deal, quote unquote, as anyone else will and supplying value in their world is paramount to having them have that delightful experience that you're talking about. Would you agree? Absolutely. There's uh, whether we
1: like it or not, often a sense of entitlement and they, they want something special. They're used to it. Their life is people coming to them with something special. Uh, you have to do something special too. And that's okay. It's, it's not that boy, with all the brand apostles, the, the ball players. it's not that hard to do. Uh, it, it, it find ways. I mean, The Vex were the best at this, right? Find ways to
0: make it exciting. Indeed. You've seen growth in several categories that you've already talked about with home decor and some of the uh, interior design work. My guess is that pools and spas have also seen an increase and some of the other industries. Do you see any other categories within the the luxury market that have achieved a a real boom in this COVID era? Well,
1: the switch to online purchasing uh, it has been somewhat profound and, and anything that's sold online is growing. Uh, anything that's not sold online is, is tough. They're not going in stores as we learned um, recently with uh,
0: black Friday it's scant because it's not worth dying for. Indeed. So much is being talked about now with affluent markets and non-affluent markets. Do you think there's something being discussed right now or maybe not being discussed? I mean, that would become or will become more important sooner than later? Is there something that's flying under the radar right now, in your opinion? The adoption of digital
1: is flying way under the radar. Um, What a lot of
0: brands are doing
1: in attempting to grow their business, instead of focusing or continuing to focus on these high net worth individuals, they're moving down market, thinking, okay, there's more people down here. You see this particularly so with magazines, uh, but but it's certainly the case with other categories, too. Gosh, we have to grow our business, come out with something that's a, a low price point. But when you do that, you lower the value of your brand. And in the luxury space, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, University of Miami. I was a big fan um, because I went there. And then all of a sudden in the 80s, they were known as hoodlums. And they had a lot of problems. I stopped wearing my Miami hurricane shirts. It no longer reflected my values. Mm. So, it was before I had a whole lot of Miami hurricane shirts, uh, day I have one. And why? Because even though I'm, and we lived in Miami until just recently, they no longer reflected my values. You can't afford to annoy or not, because status still means something. You can't afford to be aligned with something that isn't consistent with your best prospect. Uh, Here's another one missing the point, jumping into politics. Why you would jump into and and make a stand when you know half the country is going to be against that stand is beyond me. Uh, And I know it worked for Nike, but very few brands are Nike.
0: So be careful. Be careful with whom you align. Really interesting insights. Chris, I want to wrap this up, if I may, by asking you a few rapid fire fun questions. And uh, I know you love this sort of work, so this will be fun for you. If you're ready, shall we begin? I'm ready when you are. Favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Um, I was just introduced to Emily from Paris. Great. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID? My family who doesn't live here. The board game you thought you'd never pull out again, but somehow saw the light of day in 2020. <laughs> Connect four. All right. Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Um Steppenwolf. Oh, good call. Uh favorite sports team that you have not worked for. Anywhere Tom Brady goes. <laughs> The sit-down restaurant you've ordered out from for the first time.
1: Oh boy, that's a tough one.
0: Um, Mario's Italian restaurant. Okay, and that's in Palm Beach? Uh, it's actually in Stewart. Okay, nearby, very good. Uh, favorite comedian or comedian? You know, I
1: don't do comedy. I, I, I'm I, I, as odd as it sounds. Even at my age, I'm still um, bothered when I hear people use swear words to find humor.
0: And so I, I don't go to comedy clubs. I, I, I'm, I'm not a funny guy. <laughs> I would beg to differ, but you're funny in a different way. But that's okay. That's a whole different thing. Favorite thing about West Palm in particular? Favorite thing about West Palm? Or Palm Beach in particular, sorry. Um, there's, there's a gracefulness
1: and a sophistication. Uh, that uh, i i find not just the residents but the business people have laurel baker at the chamber is just a delightful person i, uh, I i've been a speaker there many times and there, there's just a
0: a kindness that exudes uh, in, in in an affluent market like that favorite place you'd like to go back to on vacation once you can go on vacation italy very good the biggest hurdle the luxury market has to overcome in the next six months? Value proposition.
1: Mm. We're going to see an explosion of travel again. So home has done very well, but we need to convince people to continue to invest in home. Uh, I would. Uh, there are short uh, category shortages, not enough product. Uh, that'll be hard to overcome in a lot of categories. Okay. Uh, but, but I think everybody has to continually revisit their value proposition as their best prospects change their value proposition. You don't believe as uh, many writers will tell you that uh, that's not important to the affluent anymore. Happiness is important. Baloney, it's still important. Uh, status is still important. Being around those of their ilk is still important. Being served is still important. Uh, um, Consumption is really only a small part of the market, uh, the luxury space. Don't assume that's who your clients are. Uh, your clients are really more into discreet luxury and and discreet,
0: um, showing their wealth discreetly. Very good. Last question. One bold prediction that you would have for the market and the sales profession going forward.
1: That everyone will be digitally connected uh, and Salespeople will be, will be working out of their desks uh, because relationships have changed. And we've learned that salespeople, and particularly the affluent, are a bigger pain in the ass than they are a lubricant for sales. So to be a lubricant for sales, your responsibilities and your presence is going to change dramatically.
0: Hmm. Great stuff. So if people wanted to reach out to you for information on the home trust, your consulting, or your speaking availability, how can they reach out to you? Well, the consultancy website is affluentinsights.com.
1: I would love to hear from you. My phone number is 561-876-8077. Again, that's 561-876-8077. And my email is cpr as if I was a doctor, but I'm not. It's Christopher Paul Ramey, CPR at thehometrust.com.
0: Chris, you've been so gracious. For I'd be time. delighted to chat with all your residents. Well, we'd love to have you. everyone reach out that has the opportunity to. Chris Ramey is president of the Home Trust International and one of the most quoted individuals about marketing strategies to affluent and luxury customers. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on The Crowdmakers.
1: The pleasure is mine. Really great to see you. Thank you very much.
0: If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru, and the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill team. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network.
1: For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.